0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast.
1: Helen Farmer with you on Afternoons with Helen Farmer and wishing you a very, very happy new year. We are getting you in the right headspace with the first show of the year with finance, with fitness. With a love of reading, it was fitness veteran Keith O'Malley Farrell who joined us in the studio talking about how to smash your goals, preventing injuries and finding your motivation in 2024. Crucial part, plus a discipline versus motivation question. What do you need to succeed? And it was Money Matters with Beth Clay of Finance Her Well. If you've been feeling left out of investing, if you're not sure where to start with budgeting, this is the chat for you no such thing as a silly question and loads of you getting in touch on the text line. Plus it was Dr. Neil Hopkin, Director of Education at Fortis Education, fostering a love of reading in our little ones from tots to teens, how to create little readers, get over any stumbling blocks and why what you do is the most important part of that puzzle. I know, I know, we're a cliche. It's January 2nd and we are talking about fitness, getting your head in the right space for smashing goals in 2024. And who better to guide us through this than Keith O'Malley Farrell from the Physical Training Company and the Life of Education. He's a fitness veteran. He's an expert in pain, stress and injury rehab. He's an adventurer, an educator. Great to have you with us. Happy New Year.
2: Happy New Year to you too.
1: So what's your book that you'd like to recommend?
2: I would say there's a book on values by I think it's Mark Manson or Mark Masson called the subtle art of not giving do, 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 a do, 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 there you go Thank curse you. word yeah um, and it's it basically talks about when you're like how you build up a value system what how you create your values what to think about and then in a nutshell it's create a framework of values that are always requiring you to work on on the, the value. So instead of valuing having a family, you value love. So you mm-hmm. always have to work on it. You always have to work. You never achieve it. Because he, he's his idea is that when you do achieve it, then what? What do you do then? So if you're always working on this value system, it also gives you the license that You don't really have to worry about regrets or getting something wrong because you can always tell yourself, I acted in line with my values.
1: That's a wonderful way of looking at it, actually, because we do get ourselves worked up about things that perhaps don't affect us, won't, you know, impact us in any way. I heard Mel Robbins speaking the other day, which was um, her philosophy, which is let them. If someone's doing something, it doesn't ultimately affect you or your life. Yeah. Um, I think the example she gave was, was her, her son's prom night. And they you know, they hadn't booked a restaurant and they hadn't sorted out how they were going to get back. And she'd wanted to wade in and kind of save them from the situation. And her daughter went, let them, like, let them get on with it. It doesn't affect you. And, you know, I had said this to my husband the other day. I think there was something in traffic. And now was like, look at that moron. And I'm like, it's not a fact. Just let them crack on. There are other ways of spending our time and energy. All right, I haven't read it, but I will. I'll get on it. Um, can I? I saw one of your reels over the last few days, which was Keith and Mally Farrell looking a bit lonely in the gym. Was, oh, yeah. was, w- was that kind of Christmas, New Year week a little, a little bit quiet? Were yeah. We were all eating cheese?
2: It actually went quiet mid December, to be honest. People disappeared on their, on their breaks nice and early this year, it seems. And then, yeah, it was, uh, we were busy in the mornings, and then it was a ghost town.
1: And now, 2nd of January, back through the doors.
2: Definitely some new faces reappearing this morning. Um, we'll see. The evening is the real judge when people are tired and want to oh. go home after work. Do they go home or do, do they fl- flood into the gym?
1: That's a it an interesting question, which is something that we've touched on in the past and is always a bit of a contentious one. I recently had a DNA test, which I haven't looked into fully, but it was talking about when you're optimised at certain times, talking about predisposition to disease and mental stuff. And it said that I am better to exercise in the morning, which, you know, I prefer to do anyway. Is there any science behind that? I know obviously people have different schedules, but what do you tend to recommend in terms of timing of doing certain activities or indeed getting the most out of your workout?
2: From what I've read, there's definitely two types of people. There's the morning people and the evening people optimally with their circadian rhythms and their hormone releasing and kind of when are they strongest? So when are they nearly most active? Is it morning, midday or in the evenings? It's very hard to find out that like you'd have to do a a genetic test like you did because some people are just they just don't deal with fatigue. They just want to be they're just tired. They just want to go home at the Mm -hmm. end of the day. So they know they need to get out of bed in the morning. Then they come to the gym in the morning because they have control of the morning. They don't have control of the 3 p.m. onwards. And then when they, as time goes on, they get stuck in work, they have to go home to the kids so they can't stay in the evening. time, But they can get out and they can put an hour or two aside in the morning um, before work or at weekends. So it, it's more of a behavioural thing that I'm aware of. I don't really know about genetically or...
1: Mm. It's also what finding what works for you. If that's the thing, if you're taking obstacles out, out of your way then like this morning and we've you know touched on this before about the kind of the finding the motivation to work out outside of a pt session or outside of a class and by putting your stuff in the back of the car having your trainers on during the school run you're probably more inclined to actually do it yeah we're talking about finding motivation next if this is something you are struggling with This is Must Listen. And we are going to be getting Keith O'Malley-Farrell's take, New Year, New You. What is his philosophy? And how can you smash those goals in 2024? from the physical training company and a life of education.com Keith O'Malley Farrell he is an injury rehab specialist he can help with strain with strain yes and pain and stress he's an adventurer and educator fitness veteran of the UAE for over a decade and I'm curious um new year new you Keith what's your philosophy on this is it something that you lean into or do you do a bit of an eye roll
2: no i don't do an eye roll at all i don't know if I lean into the new year, new you thing, but I definitely believe in like the new year is a perfect time to just have a, have a look at how last year went. What do you need to improve? What did you do well? What didn't you do well? Or, okay, what can I set myself up for for this year? So what I've done, I've done this loads in the past, is I'll try and do something a month. So I'll try and do 12 things next year. Can
1: you give us some examples of things you've done in the past?
2: So 2020, and I remember this, because I set a simple goal of pushing myself out of my comfort zone once a month for the whole year. So I can't remember. January, I think, was, uh, I think, I, I can't remember. What, but anyway, 2020 came. No, that, COVID came. Yeah. Massively a out of a zone. Yeah. That was fine. That was that year taken care of in a yeah. nutshell. Um, we've done things that we try and get a medal a month. So for the fitness people, like you do a run or you do a competition or you do whatever. But once a month, which gets a bit tricky when you look at the summer, mm-hmm. you do have to start thinking, okay, I need to do a night run in May Dan, or one of these things. Um, other things like there's another one where you've quit and replaced. One thing a month. Like what? So uh, you might give up meat for one day a week or you, every, the whole month. That's only four days vegetarian. To see how you feel. Do you mm-hmm. like it? Great. If you don't, continue mm-hmm. as you were. Uh, drink a pint of water every morning, first thing in the morning. Just try that for one month. If you like it, continue.
1: I'm smiling because um Gwyneth Paltrow said this recently. Um And I think Cameron Diaz has said it as well. For getting things moving. Apparently it's very, yeah, very efficient. I'll
2: let, they're the, obviously the experts. Clearly. Yeah. In they're movement. They're, they're, follow them. <laughs> Turn off all the notifications on your smartwatch for a month. Everything. Have a have a quiet. Have it mute. See, that made a massive difference for me. I, t- I actually got rid of my own watch. I put a Casio on for a month.
1: What am I wearing right now? Yeah, nice. Nice gold Casio.
2: <laughs> yeah. Why are you doing that?
1: Because tracking makes me feel bad.
2: Exactly. It was doing my head and being interrupted with everything. So I got rid of it for a, a January a few years ago. And then when I put my smartwatch back on, I turned everything off. And it's actually quite hard to turn everything off. There's, there's like three or four parts of the menu you have to go in to, to kill it all on, a, on, a smart, on an Apple watch. Um, either don't look at your steps, is one, mm. for a month. Forget about it. Or look at your steps for a month and really pay attention to it and see what you're doing. So do something, but do that for one month and then if it's good, continue for the next month or just get rid of it and do something else.
1: So what's on your list for 2024?
2: So there's, I was listening to something recently. There's a thing, it's kind of like pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, but it's more, do something you don't want to do every month. I'm not talking, like there's loads of things that we don't do in life, like for legal and <laughs> religious and cultural reasons. Not yes. one of them. But one of those things where like, like the, oh, I don't want to do it. Or kind you've of got a
1: secret desire to do something, but you're putting obstacles in your way.
2: Exactly. That and those things where like, I need to go to the dentist. I mm-hmm. hate the dentist. So just do that. Take action. Yeah. Do the thing you don't, everybody has these things where it's like the little hand flap. Oh, I don't want to do it. Do that. As soon as you have that thought, do that thing and then you could you could easily like get the thing fixed in the house or in the apartment
1: this is what i'm like at the back left tire yeah it's the notifications going off for a week now
2: so there's one of those things every, there's easy 12 of those in a year that's a short list
1: Uh huh. okay i like that because it feels actionable i think we need to kind of build our confidence a little bit of like being consistent of i did that one small thing so maybe i could do something yeah. a bit bigger so have you got any big goals you want to be looking at
2: no, this is actually the first time in a long time where I have nothing in my goals diary. Um, we went to Nepal to the Everest Base Camp, which you didn't come on. No, I didn't. Um, <laughs> don't which, look at me was, that. Well, that was the first agreement, but we can talk about that some other <laughs> time. Um, and when I got back, I had nothing in the diary and I'm actually, I'm okay with that for now. Like this is the first time in years where I don't have something straight away to look forward to. Well,
1: that's what I wanted to talk to you was about, about motivation because, you know, we climbed Kilimanjaro together and the idea of not crying or being sick or you know whatever it was on the side of a mountain in in the dark was pretty motivating for me you know to to get me in the gym Mm. and get training when I haven't got something to work towards I think a lot of people the same it feels a bit aimless and abstract however when you've got something massive that you're working towards you know it can feel like you're setting yourself up for failure and if you don't hit that then that can feel like a massive knock back so for people finding a motivation you know, when people come into the gym all the time and I'm sure January is probably the, the biggest time for this people coming in with their goals how do you motivate them what do you think's been effective
2: so I do believe in the massive goal but the massive goal doesn't have to be Kilimanjaro the massive goal could be something massive for that individual like whatever like it's, it's, there's loads of things but where this comes from from me is my stuff is pain and injury rehab if we're always talking about the ligament that's sore or the back that's sore it becomes like tedious and boring and the person just it, we get bogged down in the nitty-gritty of it all but if we're talking about this person wants to go back playing tennis then it helps firstly steer the program where yes we're going to fix your back but we're going to do way more rotational style exercise because that's tennis or single leg stuff if you're a runner and you want to run but having even if it's just pull ups you know look around the gym i want that girl can do 10 pull-ups i want to do a pull-up okay so at least that helps us steer so now, as the days are going by, as we get like a new exercise in the program, I can explain to you, this is very specifically, doesn't look like a pull-up, but we're hanging off this barb and you're going to do this other thing because you want to do pull-ups.
1: Mm-hmm. This is the why.
2: Yeah, you've got, exactly. you got your why. I do believe you need a massive why, but it doesn't have to be... Uh, like climbing Mount Everest. And also it comes back to that book on the value system where if it's a philosophy that you always have to work on, it's, it's underlying your actual goal. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I want to be somebody who can play with my kids. I want to be someone who's got normal blood pressure and, and, and uh, cholesterol levels.
1: Yeah, I don't want to be in pain every day.
2: Yeah, so that's continuous. And that's, that's the ongoing struggle that we all face. But you break that down into fun, tangible, small, achievable goals. Like that's kind of that smarter... Typical thing, but it's uh, if you have the philosophy underlying it, that's the kind of the the reason for getting out of bed in the morning.
1: We've had a message here saying, um, "How do you suggest overcoming mental roadblocks when it comes to fitness? Any advice for staying on track on those lazy days when motivation is low?" That's from Kiara.
2: I think you have to really tap into how how do you feel on the days where you're not like after the exercise when you're not uh, motivated or when you start to really force yourself, because loads of people will, just, will not want to do the exercise, but they just go and do it or you just set yourself up. I'm going to do 10 minutes. Like for me in the gym, we're in the gym all morning, super early, and I just want to leave and go get food. But if I say, <laughs> I'm going to do 10 minutes, yeah. let me see how I feel in 10 minutes. And 10 minutes into it, I'm like, well, I've done 10 minutes now. I might, I'm sweaty, I'm going, I might as well keep going. And then I stick to my plan. So I try and reduce all the thinking. I have a program, I have a plan. I just need to like plug in to what mm. is happening next. But then on the days you're on the couch and you're like, oh, I would be thinking, okay, well, the last time I went for a run, I felt so good after. Not only because I did the run, but because I really didn't want to do the run. So I kind of doubled down on my self-reward. So being really present and really tuned into to how you feel when you do have a strong discipline there, or when you do, like, tick all your boxes, that's so...
1: What Can I ask you about discipline versus motivation? Are those different?
2: Yeah, I think discipline is... Discipline is just doing the things. You know, like w- Most people brush their teeth before they go to bed. You know, you're know, you not motivated to do that. It's the last thing you wanna do when you just, just get up off the couch. You just wanna go straight into bed. Well, you'll go to the bathroom and kind of wake yourself up, brush your teeth. Like you said, set up your kit for the next day, the next gym session or the next walking on the yoga class, whatever you're doing. That's the discipline. Loads of us have that in our day to day, even though we consider ourselves as, oh, I'm not that disciplined or like you really are. You know, you get to work on time. That's mm-hmm. discipline. You leave at the right time to judge the traffic. You get the kids to school on time. You've got all those disciplines in place. Though you're not motivated to do them. Do you know, motivation is like that extra bonus. Okay, well, I feel good. I'm going to do it today. Yay, let's do it. But discipline is there. You just have to channel it towards, oh, this is going to be uncomfortable or...
1: Do you know what I find really annoying about exercise? you do feel better afterwards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what do you know what I mean? It's kind of frustrating. You're like, oh, I am glad I did that workout. The, the doctors and the fitness professionals are right, but what can find, re, find really challenging is getting there in the first place, putting the trainers on, doing the run, you know, doing what, doing whatever it is. And I think for a lot of people, it's that first step that can feel overwhelming.
2: Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of ways. Like some people enjoy the struggle They enjoy overcoming that feeling where I felt lazy on the couch and I did it. Okay, good. I feel real good about that because I didn't want to be a lazy person. And then other people just go, I hate it, but I know I'm meeting four people on the beach for a beach walk and I don't want to let them down. Actually, I really like that coffee shop that we go to at the end, so I'm going to go and do that. So, like, I don't think anybody enjoys it in that, like type one, this is the best, most fun ever. Because everyone's, your heart rate is up in the air. One thing you did say though, is you do feel better after the exercise. That's as long as you get the intensity right. Mm -hmm. Because some people overdo it. They go to work all day, super stressed at work, typical things, and they go to the gym to blow up some steam and they burn the candle at the other end as well. And they go way too hard and then they go home. And you don't notice that after. You notice that six weeks later when something is going wrong or now you can't get to the gym.
1: Or suddenly there's an injury that has just, you know, crept up again. Yeah, exactly. So moderation. Keith O'Malley Farrell in the studio with us today. We are going to go to the text line next. Getting 2024 off to a happy, healthy fit start now with Keith O'Malley Farrell from the Physical Training Company from a com. He is a fitness veteran. He's a pain, stress and injury rehab specialist, adventurer and educator and is on hand to answer your questions. Now, you can be anonymous if you want or you can pick up the phone. Give us a call like Kieran has. Kieran, you are having some problems with your knee?
3: I have been, yeah. Um, I've been dealing with patella tendinitis in my left knee for just about over a year and a half now. Um, I play football quite avidly, uh, probably about four times a week, I would say, and I think that's where it stemmed from. Um, I've seeked uh, a range of different treatments from uh, shockwave therapy to dry needling to all sorts, Um, and I am in the middle of the season at the minute, so I was just kind of wondering... If there's any advice to to managing and playing at the same time, or when I do have downtime, what is the best course of action to sort of help with this injury?
1: Well, you're speaking to the best man. Keith has got my knees feeling a lot better. And you've worked with a lot of sports people, professional amateur in your time, Keith. It sounds like Kieran's playing a lot of football. At probably sounds like quite a high level, Kieran. What comes to mind in terms of getting assessment and then moving forward during the season?
2: Um, just a quick question. What what kind of pain are you in after you football? Does, is it, does it stop you playing or does it just linger?
3: Uh, so there's sort of two phases to it, I would say. Um, it's quite slow to get going at the beginning of either training or a game. So it takes quite a while to get warmed up. And then as I start to get into it, I don't notice the pain as much. But then once I finish and the morning after, um, there is quite a bad lingering achy pain um, in the knee.
2: Um, so you've tried all those shockwave-style t- treatments. Yeah, you've been to a physio. You've had that assessed?
3: Yes, yes, I have. I've had um, MRI done, been seen a knee doctor, uh, a couple of physios, so I've had the work.
1: Kieran, Keith's making a face.
3: Well,
2: no, no, <laughs> this is the kind of person I get a lot of okay. people have been around the block on the, the medical side. And Have you tried a strength training Six, twelve months of strength training through your quads, through your hamstrings, through your glutes.
3: Uh, I wouldn't say anything uh, consistent. Yeah, I would say, um, but I have I have tried uh, various different exercises. I've tried um, sort of front loading the quads on front squats. Um, I've tried, you know, to try to keep my knee over the front of my toes, mm. all that kind of thing. So um, there has been a slight improvement, I would say. Uh, in terms of pain, but it hasn't completely gone away, and I'm just wondering if it ever will.
2: Yeah, well, I can definitely say you've, you've, there, there's a potential where it will definitely go away. What I would also say is you probably have to get stuck into a proper tra- strength training program. The intricacies of the exact exercise that you do wouldn't matter so much at the beginning. You just need to have a consist- lay a foundation, have a consistent base of strength. So if you're playing football now, it's probably not the best time to start you know, digging in and getting muscle soreness and trying to figure out a schedule where you can do football and the gym. But as the summer comes and as football stops, then it might be best to look at just doing a couple of leg sessions a week. And you're looking at very simple, very basic stuff to begin. You know, the, the full, the full lower body quads, glutes, hamstrings, um, and it would, should go away then after. You know, after a lot of you know, just increasing your capacity.
1: Kieran, I'm going to connect you with Keith. Off, off air. I'm gonna to reply to your message with his details so you guys can have a chat. But um there, there is light at the end of the tunnel, hopefully. And um, you're speaking to someone who's got no cartilage in her knees at all. Um, so I, I literally feel your pain on the tendinitis front. Um, I had some hyaluronic injections, the acid injections, before we climbed Kilimanjaro, which helped hugely. Um, so if you want a good recommendation on any um, osteo doctors, I'll, I'll pop some of those messages. As well, hope that helps, and uh, stay healthy, stay strong, and stay, stay out of hospital. All right, sir. Thank you. <laughs> that was Kieran. We've also got Sunil on the line, who has. Been in touch. Um, early fifties, pretty fit, but a frozen shoulder for the last six months. Niels, what's what's
4: been going on? Yeah, good afternoon. Actually, I think I pulled my. I pushed myself a little too hard. Uh, I was uh, working out after a break of about six or seven months, and I tried uh, doing pull-ups, and uh, immediately the next day I had. Uh, I couldn't lift my right arm, Gosh. and there was no mobility on my shoulder. So this has uh, been about six to seven months back and I'm uh, slowly regaining strength and uh, I'm up to swimming and uh, I can do some push-ups but definitely not like what I was uh, used to before. So I was wondering how, how long does it take to you know, uh, heal a frozen shoulder and especially once you're past 50. Keith,
1: what exactly is a frozen shoulder and how can we help Sunil this afternoon?
2: True frozen shoulder is the, like the capsule that holds the ball and socket joint together, uh, almost at the deepest level of the joint, is it loses its kind of elasticity and its, its, um, its ability to rotate and move around. It just stiffens up the collagen and the water dehydrates and it just doesn't budge. So true frozen shoulder should give you the same sensation as if you straighten your arm out all the way and your elbow straightens. Locks. That, that complete lock stopping, that's real true, true frozen shoulder. You can also have very sore shoulder that has limited movement. It's not quite in the category of the ultimate true frozen shoulder. But to go back to your question, um, your situation, have you had an assessment done on the shoulder to tell you that it's um, frozen shoulder?
4: Yes, I, I did visit a an ortho and uh, I I did a couple of sessions. I did I did about six uh, physical sessions, and I continue to exercise holding a towel for for my mobility and uh, for strengthening uh, strengthening the shoulders. I continue to do that.
2: I would suggest continue to try and mobilize it. Try and get the movement back first so you can put your hands right up over your head to kind of sh- upper arm touching your ear on both sides and so that it matches left and right side first while you're okay, uh-huh. still kind of swimming and using that comfortable range. And then once you can get that full range of motion, then you can start looking at adding some strength exercises where you're overhead pressing and externally rotating the shoulder. But you, you would have it, Work it in those ranges that are pain free, like you said, when you're swimming and then just continue with your mobility and then look to uh, to strengthen it again in the future.
1: Neil, really hope that helps her stay well, so stay healthy, and uh, keep us posted. Uh, Neil speaking to us. Keith and Molly Farrell in the studio from the Physical Training Company. Um, we've had a question about number of works out, workout and kind of spacing. This came through on social media earlier from Nina saying I'm quite overweight but fairly active. Walk five to ten thousand steps. Swim at the weekends. Do a boot um, type boot camp type class weekly. I really want to up my exercise but struggling because I'm working full time. Got young kids. My husband's in Saudi during the week would it be inadvisable to do two fitness sessions in one day each week? I was thinking yoga or Pilates in the morning and then my boot camp um, late afternoon, or is that just too much?
2: It's not too much if you are working completely different energy systems for the most part, unless you're a professional athlete. So like you're saying, yoga in the morning and then a gym session in the evening is fine because they're very different uh, energies, they're very different intensities. If you keep tapping into the same, like both boot camps, morning and evening, you're eventually going to fall off a cliff and just have have some problems. But just one of the things you could do from five to 10,000 steps, if you were to pay attention to the steps seven days a week and push that beyond 10,000, that's going to obviously increase your activity level. What I'd also suggest is, is like get a deeper understanding as to why do you want to, um, Why do you want to increase your exercise levels? Like what's your ultimate goal? And then start aiming towards that, you know, just exercising twice a day for the sake of doing more is going to have a short lifespan Mm -hmm. for most people. Now, I don't know this person, but having something that's really, really meaningful will then allow you you'll definitely do two a day. You know, you might even do, do two, three or four days a week and then do nothing on the other day when it's the, your busiest rest day.
1: Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, speaking of busy schedules, Neil says, what's your take on the best full body workout for busy schedules? I'm looking for something effective, but time efficient. Is Apple Fitness worth it? I just need a 30 minute workout to do from home with minimal gear.
2: Oh, the best for 30 minutes. There's loads. It's really like with minimal gear. So you're going to body weight stuff, maybe a TRX that would help because you, you um, but there's so much online, not to give a, a vague answer from the, from the COVID days, people were doing home workouts. There's an infinite number of body weight exercises, animal f- movements. There's a. Do
1: you say animal movements? Yeah,
2: there's a whole. Anim- like flow. Yeah. Like gorilla walks, uh, crab walks, um, there's loads. Just Google animal flow, animal movements. Zoo, it's either X-U-U or Z-U-U is another one. Um, there's a guy in Dubai who does that, Danny Bartlett, who's you probably know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's loads you can do. Like It's almost too long an answer.
1: Okay, so loads out there.
2: Yeah, just Google it.
1: Um, and Alexis saying, quick question, what is your go-to post-workout snack for optimal recovery? Hashtag FitFuel.
2: I would just simply do protein shakes have it forever it's it's boring
1: but it
2: it gets it in you also get your water in that you may have lost as well um after that you're looking at some sort of meat if you if you eat meat like a salad you do have a little bit of a license to go a little bit off piste with your diet post-workout because you're going to be sugar depleted so you can go for a little bit more of a kind of chocolate bar protein bar but you definitely want to be tapping into some protein source
1: So I started watching something on Netflix last night, which is called, I think it's called You Are What You Eat, and they're doing a twin study, identical twin study, where they're putting one on an omnivore diet, one on a vegan diet. And I mean, it looks like rigorous testing from the beginning, looking at, you know, visceral fat, looking at their biological age. So I'd love to catch up in about a month's time. Keith and have a little chat on that now if anyone is feeling motivated they're feeling ready to make a change and a big change physical training company is kicking off something pretty special in the next few days what are you planning and who can get involved
2: so january 15th is basically just like a like the new year new you kind of thing you spoke about we're just doing a six-week transformation package fully immersive in training nutrition we push a lot on the accountability side of it because it there's enough training online people can just google it if it was just the problem with that there's enough food plans online you could you could google it if that if that was what you were lacking but a lot of people just need the accountability they need the the community they need to know there's other people struggling with them at the same time so everyone's going to start january 15 six weeks through and uh it's people who are getting back into fitness typically sign up to these things so it's not a mad case of okay you're going to drop a definite amount of weight but we do help people with goals each week what you need to be hitting what we're looking for you to change make some small change in the first couple of weeks it typically takes about ten days for people to get into the actual mindset mm-hmm. of oh this is really happening I'm really doing this I really need to stop that nutrition plan and get onto this other one over here. So we'll see how we go. It's usually quite it's quite a nice little thing in January to do with people. So we hope it'll do well again.
1: What's the best way of tracking you down on social media and of course getting involved in the challenge if people are up for it?
2: Yeah contact me uh, at Keith O'Malley underscore Farrell on Instagram or Training Room UAE Instagram
1: there you go if you want to send me the word fit I'll send you both those links so you can find out more Keith O'Malley Farrell thank you so so much absolute pleasure to kick off 2024 with you <laughs> Still not used to saying 2024 yet, so I'm uh, hoping you can stick with me if I get it wrong over the next few days. Joining us in studio today is Beth Clay from Finance Her Well. She is on a mission to help women in particular achieve their financial goals one step at a time. There is no such thing as a silly question if you want to get in touch about budgeting, about debt, about well we've already had questions about investing as well she does coaching and guidance online and in person happy new year Beth how are you happy new year Helen it's great to be here you've got a new name for 2024 I- you uh, tell us a little bit about that decision what were you before and why the change yeah so um, I was mum's at invest before so I started the account
5: uh, last year uh, which was focused on kind of like very much educating around investing because not many women in particular feel confident in doing that so I kind of came up with the name then but the more of us I I've grown the account and the more people I talk to, it's more about financial wellness in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what a lot of people are really seeking, the kind of the wider aspects of that. So not just investing itself. So hence why I wanted to um, relaunch with Finance so Well uh, as a new year, a
1: Congratulations. new start to think about that. Thank you. Um, you've got some great advice and we've already had questions in on the text line for you, Beth. But before we get to that, I wanted to ask you about you. Mm-hmm. Where and why did your interest in, in personal finance start? Do you think? Can you pinpoint it?
5: Yeah, well, um, it actually came from like my dad um, many years ago. Obviously, he was really into finance and uh, investing and I remember back in the 90s um, him being kind of like very into the kind of the stock market and the the old IBM computer like tapping away checking that every single night (laughs) and I was always fascinated to kind of know like how does this work and it actually took me you know throughout my kind of 20s and then to kind of 30s getting into kind of investing and actually it's full of jargon and so many people can't relate to it Mm -hmm. and so I was thinking there must be an easy way to do this so I spent a lot of time kind of studying and understanding and actually there are so many ways and I know I'm sure we'll come into it so I'm not going to go into loads of detail now but you know really breaking it down there are low risk ways in terms of investing. And it's so important to complement that alongside saving as well. So mm-hmm. that you're really thinking about those long term goals and your money can grow so much more than you think it can um, if you take that long term view. So very much that's why I kind of started the account to kind of talk about it, make it accessible as well to people. Um, and it's been great. Like the people have just really got on board with the journey. And yeah, I'm it, finding it,
1: it can feel quite other, this idea yeah. of it being something that, you know, male, pale, stale. Um, yeah you know, very wealthy people only only they can invest. And as you say, that jargon can feel very excluding to a lot of people. So we're gonna be breaking down some terms today, I'm sure. But if you've got any questions, Beth, you can get in touch on four zero zero one. And you've you've touched on it a little bit, but I wanted to ask you maybe some of the common challenges that women in particular face when it comes to taking control of their financial future. What's come up in your experience and even with some clients in the past?
5: Yeah, so it is very much like, well, firstly, like budgeting, how to set a budget. I think a lot of people feel very overwhelmed with finances in general. Um, I mean, I would say it's from both genders. But often I find when I do speak to a lot of women that, particularly those in relationships, it's often the husband or the partner who takes control of those finances. Um, So I found that quite a lot actually speaking to people. So they feel left out of those conversations. And so therefore you know, those investing conversations that happens, happens between partners and not necessarily, you know, male friends, not necessarily in couples or in families themselves. So that's... So so women not feeling empowered
1: to have an opinion even?
5: Yeah, that's very much what I found, in fact. Yeah, I think um, particularly when it comes to kind of relationships and people to kind of talk about it, or they put off thinking about their finances because it's so scary and Mm -hmm. it's like, I don't want to look at my bank account. And that's often something I hear about as well, like people who just... It's in there, I don't know, as long as I'm getting paid and, you know, there's different things. And then obviously debts, something that kind of comes up and, you know, that sense of overwhelm. And this is where I kind of wanted to talk about the kind of financial wellness side of that. Mm. So kind of how you can kind of address those different areas. How do you define financial wellness, Beth? What does it mean to you? So it means taking control of your finances and feeling empowered so that once you feel empowered of your finances, that then I think replicates across your whole life as well. It goes hand in hand with your own well-being, I think, in terms of when you think about your mental mental well-being. It's that sense of feeling in control. And when you feel in control of your health and your life in general, that's where your kind of financial aspect comes into it as well.
1: I think you've touched on a couple of really interesting points. One, uh, that a lot of people are, to use a very Dubai, bury your head in the sand and be like, la, 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 you know, until someone's knocking on the door or we're in in big trouble, then I'd rather not think about it. But ultimately... By facing some of those potential troubles, you know maybe maybe it's not all you know sunshine and and, and unicorns, but at least if you start to get a handle of what the real situation is and you start to take control, you start to have conversations that you've been shying away from, it does help you sleep better at night. It massively (laughs) does. That that mental health is you know money we know is a really big part of why a lot of relationships break down. our own mental health. Um, so this is the year, people, where you're going to get your head out your sand and you're going to start making some really good proactive decisions and, and taking some control. We've got Beth Clay with us from Finance So Well. If you've got any questions for her, and as I said earlier, there really is no such thing as a silly question, whether it is a term you want some clarity on, um, you want a bit of advice, you are more than welcome to reach out. Up next, I'm curious to hear as a lot of us are setting intentions for the year ahead. What makes a great financial goal? What makes a terrible one? And we are going, of course, going to be going to the text lines too. Talking about achieving your financial goals in 2024, especially the women listening today with Beth Clay from Finance Her Well. And I wondered what makes a great financial goal, Beth? So I would say it comes back to that
5: well-known phrase of smart. So is it kind of um, achievable, measurable? And is it time bound? Mm -hmm. Because that's the things you need to really think about. Can I actually achieve this this year? So if your goal is, let's say, same for that holiday in Thailand in December, think about that in terms of break it down. How much is it actually going to cost you? and then break it down over the kind of the 12 months before that. So how much can you actually save each month and kind of put aside and make sure that it does realistically come out of your budget each month. So that's one of the key things I would say, just really focus on, can I actually achieve this this year without going into debt or put it on my credit card or this, mm-hmm. that and the other. That's what I would say a really good financial goal
1: is. Because I think, you know, and what, sometimes it's fitness and sometimes it's just life, you know, drink more water, you know, yeah. save more money. You know, if it, if it doesn't feel tangible you, you can't you can't improve what you can't measure I guess is what I'm trying Exa- to say
5: exactly and you can't say kind of there's no point saying save more money this year <laughs> okay how are you actually <laughs> going to do that you know I so is is it kind of thinking okay well this month I'm going to save a thousand dirhams or I'm going to make it like well three three thousand dirhams or whatever feels comfortable to you what I would say and um is very much and I know we'll touch on this in a bit in terms of when we come to like budgeting Mm -hmm. but really breaking down and start the start of the year in terms of what you actually need to spend on your kind of what I call like needs so is that your housing your bills those sort of things your wants um, so going out, subscriptions, anything like that, and then actually f- allocate that. What I would roughly try and do is about 20% for savings. Um, I've actually created a free budget planner for everybody that oh, does, does this. this.
1: Um, where, where can I find that?
5: So, <laughs> on my website, so Finance well, You can click through and get through to the budget planner, which is 50, 30, 20, and that very much helps you kind of allocate those fi- um, finances and really think about what that financial goal is for the year.
1: So 50% on your needs, Yep, so, so that's your housing, your food, things you cannot live without. Your schooling would come under that, yeah, presumably. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Could I put my eyelash extensions on no. that? No, okay, that's a want. <laughs> <laughs> and then 30% on your Once. wants, yep. and then 20% savings. Yes. Which leads me to ask, where are we putting those savings, Beth? Where Where's that money going in terms of you know, access to an emergency fund yep. versus those long term savings?
5: Yeah, so I think it's a really good point. So that 20%, I would make sure that you're always allocating, you know, start off with the building that emergency fund. This is so important, definitely start of the year to make sure that you've got that part. And what I mean by emergency fund is very much if your car breaks down like or something or the air conditioning goes or something that you do not anticipate coming, it will come. It will happen this year. Mm -hmm. So you do need to make sure that you've got that money allocated. So out of that 20% pot, make sure that you've siphoned off a certain amount that you can for that emergency fund, then a certain amount for, you know, saving for those short term or goals that you want to kind of do. So we'll talk about where to put this in terms of savings accounts as well. But And then I would put some money aside to start investing if you haven't already. Just a small amount, just to start and
1: kind of see how you get on and build that. But that all comes out of that, yeah, 20% that you're putting aside. Okay. Um, I wanted to come back to something you touched on earlier, which is about your mindset about money. Now, I think you were really lucky in that you had a family that seemed to be obviously very financially savvy and your dad was Mm. talking about investing. And a lot of people as children aren't privy to conversations about finances and I think there's obviously an age appropriateness to to that as well but financial literacy has been long neglected in school and in families Mm -hmm. as well and I think our own philosophy on money you know impacts us all the way through our life so tell us a little bit about why understanding your mindset about money can be really really important yeah
5: you've really touched on that I think it's so important I think very much our Actual, our mindset with money is actually formed from the age of about five, which is wow. quite scary. Yeah, it's really scary, the statistics out there that show that. So obviously, it starts in the home. Obviously, if your parents, you know, being open about kind of those conversations about where money comes from and how you can start saving. So even if you can, you can teach your children from a young age as well about putting money aside for certain pots, so they kind of get used to that. But you're totally right. Financial literacy isn't taught at school, and we need to do more about that. So I think it's like being aware of your financial literacy, you know, how much do I actually know about money and how is money talked about? Because I've read a lot about kind of the psychology of money as well and those external influences, like very much the people that you're around, you know, have that impact on how you are with money as well. If you're around people who are spenders, you're naturally going to feel like you need to spend your money. So it's very much kind of stepping back and actually seeing what are those different things that are influencing how you are kind of with your own money and addressing that. And there's definitely a really good book, which I say, Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. I would definitely recommend reading because that really helps you kind of understand what your mindset might be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, just addressing kind of what, how is it that I approach money and what does it mean to me? Uh, and it goes beyond kind of wanting to be rich or this, that and the other. It's actually like, what is this? What can I use money for as a tool yeah, what for are, something? What yeah. are my values? What, exactly. You know. Exactly. And, it, and how does it, it line with that? Yeah. He was
1: on Diary of a CEO maybe a month or so ago. And I think Stephen Bartlett talked about that being a book that literally changed his life financially yeah. and business sense so um, psychology of money about credit cards about budgeting and why are so many women reluctant to invest we'll be finding out we are getting you financially shipshape in 2024 with beth clay from finance her well she is on a mission to help women in particular achieve their financial goals one step at a time through coaching, through guidance, helping you work on your money mindset, breaking it down. If you've been feeling excluded from the world of investing, if you're feeling overwhelmed by debt, going back to basics and putting some really actionable steps in place this year can literally be life and sanity saving. I've got a question for you. We're talking book recommendations. You talked earlier about the psychology of money. What else do you think should be on our reading list on the money stakes in particular?
5: Yep. Yeah, so um, I would say The Millionaire Teacher by Andrew Hallam. That was an amazing book. Yes. Um, I know he's got the millionaire expat as well, but I definitely would recommend that. And that opens your mind to the world of kind of like investing, but thinking about it through the lens of like index funds. So like the lowest risk and kind of diversifying. So I think it was really eye opening. And I think at the end of that, I think everybody would be left probably be like, yep, I'm definitely going to start investing mm-hmm. now. Um, I would say that's a really good one, especially for expats as
1: well. because yeah. He has got that mindset of, of being here or, you know, in other expat communities and the Facebook group they have there as well. So it's just fantastic. Um, Can we go to the text line? Um, We've had a message from Bex saying, Hi both, I've decided to make 2024 the year I take better control of finances. You're in the right place. Mm. Um, Starting to look at a monthly spreadsheet to monitor our spending and also looking at different pots for our disposable income. Thankfully, no debt apart from car payments. And I've done either of these before, so I'd love some advice or tips to get me started. Many thanks in advance. So... Basics in budgeting. What do you like, Beth?
5: So, as I said, we talked about earlier the kind of 50, 30, 20 budget. Um, So, that's very much kind of looking at those different ways in terms of putting out your different pots. Um, As I said, when it comes to kind of like savings as well, we've talked about kind of setting up that emergency fund, having that pot kind of for your short term goals as well. So, if that's kind of getting that holiday this year or the car that you wanted and then thinking about those kind of medium sort of goals as well. Maybe saving up for a house deposit in a few years time and then obviously that bit of investing ideally for those longer term sort of goals as well. So very much kind of thinking about that. But um, I would definitely as I mentioned earlier, the free budget planet is there. It's really easy to kind of use and to kind of like change you know, keep it flexible as well. Mm-hmm. Obviously when you do, you know, there'll be times where you get more income in or things kind of happen. So you'll need to kind of revisit it those different um, pots of money but very much like allocating it in those different ways really does keep you on track really um, and setting it out like from a monthly thing so you can actually see that building up
1: over time as well. So just remind us of the website, Beth. So we So finance her well, and it's a free budget planner. Okay. Anonymous message here, and you can get in touch anonymously. We don't mind a bit. Saying, I'm looking for some insight on saving versus retirement fund, please. Recently turned 40. I've returned to paid work after five years at stay-at-home mum. I'm looking to start saving for retirement, but I'm not sure where to put it, or mm-hmm. indeed what percentage to put aside. Really am clueless. Um, we are debt-free, apart from mortgage, and I'm earning 17,500 dirhams. Thank you, Anonymous says.
5: Yeah, um, definitely you're not clueless. You don't need to worry about it. So many people, I think I think I read a stat the other day that actually 50% of residents in the UAE haven't even thought about uh, same for retirement. So you are not alone is what mm-hmm. I would say to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in terms of same, so there's several uh, different high interest accounts at the moment. So you might want to kind of allocate a small amount of that. So we talked about that 20%, so 20% of that 17K that you talked about there. So if you can kind of allocate perhaps half of that to kind of savings. So I know that uh, there's certain banks like WIO uh, which is offering 5.5%. Really good interest. Really good. It's the highest I've seen for mm-hmm. quite some time actually and that's if you can try and lock away if you've got a certain amount of savings to lock it away for 6 to 12 months uh, that's good because you'll really see that interest there and then if you have got less than that I think it's fine it's still about 5%. It's so a really good one. I know Sawa and Saxo Bank they've got about 3% but I was also thinking about in terms of retirement I know National Bonds uh, is another example as well so if you can think about I think they've got. Two 2.95% interest there but they're very much they've got a second salary scheme which I think is quite appealing and depends obviously when you want to retire but I think they can do like a 10-year um, like time frame so if you're putting aside a certain amount each month uh, then for 10 years uh, then you actually get that money back plus the 2595 percent on top of that so you're earning that kind of m- amount and I think it starts you can do as low as kind of like uh, 1,000 dirhams as well okay. a month on that, and the other thing I would say, one of the apps I absolutely love, um, which is the Stake app. I know I talk about quite a bit about this on my page, but it's definitely about uh, investing in real estate, uh, and I know you can start investing from like at as low as like 500 dirhams a month into that. Um, so, so that's a
1: really good one if you're thinking that long-term
5: horizon plan as well.
1: Wouldn't you say investing in real estate from 500 dirhams a month? This is effectively a lot of people pooling their money into yeah. certain projects. Exactly. So UA-
5: UAE? UAE based, yep. So I love telling everyone I've got uh, an apartment down on the Dubai Marina. Oh, lucky you. <laughs> Only that I share with about 300 people, but it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> but,
1: and there's at stake, as in steak through the heart rather than steak and chips. Uh, S-T-A-K. yeah, stake
5: okay. i think it's get stake yeah okay. um the get stake app. but yeah definitely um I really like that because if you've got that longer term mindset, you're thinking, I want to get into property, but I don't have all the money to put down. There's little amounts that you can do. Me and my husband both have
1: it. Uh, and so I think you would, we were talking earlier about competitions with husbands. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm just I'm just going to say, I'm, I'm currently beating my husband on my investments. Yeah. <laughs> Not through any design, just I think through pure luck. But, but yeah, he doesn't need to know that. I know, I, t- I totally get that. I'm saying. Um, but yeah, we
5: have little, both of us have a little amount in a property and it, whoever's got the highest rental income that month. So you get a, r- a small rental income that comes in each month from the property that you're sharing with all these I people. I love the sound of that. Yeah. Okay, right, I'm adding that to my I list mean, it, as well. It, it can be a small amount of dirhams, but it's still, it adds up. And the point of it is, if you're, it's all that about that compounding and adding it, reinvesting it back in. Mm-hmm. So there's various different avenues in terms of, like I said, saving and then investing that are kind of accessible as well.
1: Well, I think that accessible thing is, is really, really key. When you're talking about, you know, from 500 dirhams, a lot of people think our investment is just something that people, people who are earning mega do which isn't the case at all you know from you know from a few hundred dirhams a month it it does absolutely you know impact and that which brings me to a message here from jessa saying i read this stat recently that only one in ten women feel they fully understand investing and that only 28 percent of women feel confident about investing i'm a bit apprehensive myself and i can't put my finger on why what do you ladies think about this? Yeah. Ooh, great question.
5: It is really sad. And it goes back to the point that I've talked to for a long time about kind of the financial jargon. And it's been seen as that kind of like white male kind of. It's like, not for me. It's not for me. Or like my husband does it all or whoever, you know, I'll leave, I'll leave it to them to do. And, and it kind of, you know, like you said, in terms of it's too risky. And mm. that's what I do hear a lot about. And yes, I think if when you think about investing in it, it's like in those individual stocks
1: it can be very risky. Well, and I think that's the thing. And we're not talking about, you know, day trading and spending, no. you know, spending, so spending your time. So many people do
5: equate it to that, though. And that's what you think about. And that's where often they kind of see it. And people lose so much money, like, you know, if it's like investing into one particular stock and stuff like that. So, But when we talk about investing, as I said, it's kind of diversify, diva- diversify, diversify. Mm. And those are the books that we talked about earlier. But like long term horizon, really got to see it as
1: long term. And it's actually really boring. <laughs> it's so boring. But do you know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. what you want. You want your yep. I need to as be boring pre- as possible. to be pretty boring. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, it's nice to be like, oh, I'm, I'm a little bit up, but those big ha- big highs and lows. That's not for I'd say 99 of the people. It really isn't. It, no, exactly. And you're right. It's kind of like and it, when you think about those like
5: 10, 20, 30 plus years, and that's bringing back to. Um, one of the uh, the members of the audience dialed in earlier like it is that retirement really that's what you need Mm -hmm. to be thinking about for and that's where a lot of people often think oh it's so far in advance I don't you know but actually a small amount now and especially if you think about it for children as well like if you start investing when your child is like just being born or one or two even a small amount of money you know by the time they're 18 they might be able to have like money to buy or 20 let's say but like they might be able to buy put money towards a house Mm -hmm. or something like that because it really does compound and that seems important thing about thinking about investing Um,
1: But it is about diversifying across the board as many as possible today. Um, Beth, we've got a couple of messages. I want to quickly come to this one from Dee saying, "Um, thank you so much. Would love some advice. I'm earning what I think is a good salary. After bills, I've got about 3,000 left at the end of the month. I'm from a poor background, never had much help with money. My dad got into a lot of debts. I'm trying to be smart. I could use some advice. Um, I want to um, start an investment portfolio. I've read that it's not always best to hire a financial consultant, but I'm not sure what I can do myself. Any advice greatly greatly appreciated. I mean, I think it just comes back to this. And I, I'm so sorry to any financial advisors listening today. I think most people listening, our financial situations are not so complicated that we need someone to literally manage so our money.
5: True. Yeah, <laughs> no, it is really it is really true. There's so much that you can do yourself, and that's very much why I've started this account. Really, is like, you know, to coach people that when you think about finance that's sort the of thing like with financial advisors well, like as you say, no offense out there but you know a lot of them you, you, there is those percentage fees that they do charge and that is kind of Massive. missed up ma- missed out on um, the money that you could be earning from that percentage actually
1: you could actually be investing and in, you can do it yourself i think there are some people that probably do need some help but you know get someone on a project or an hourly basis not on a percentage basis 100% Big that's trap. the one
5: thing that i would say yeah definitely get go down more the, the kind of coaching and understanding how you can manage it yourself. so so many diy kind of brokerage accounts that you can use so i think there's interactive brokers that's a common one um e-toro vanguard and oh no, it's only available for certain audiences mm-hmm. but yeah interactive brokers is a really good one that you can go on and they have advice on there as well about how to you set up your different funds um Sawa, uh, that's a good one we were talking about that earlier weren't we right in terms here. That's a really good one as well. Um, And what is helpful about that is like being a robo-investing account. So you can actually go on and say, right, my risk tolerance is this amount, you know, like I'm a medium risk uh, taker uh, and actually I've got this long-term horizon and it will then show you how it can break down that fund in terms of, okay, well, I'm going to put 30% in US stocks. I'm going to put this amount in or global world one and then a certain amount in kind of like real estate. So it works and bonds as well. Mm -hmm. So it works on that sense of, actually, these are the best places that we
1: think you could put your money for the time horizon that you've got. And you can also... Automate as soon as you get paid. Exactly. Automate, automate. 5%, 10%, whatever you can afford to do so you're not scrabbling around at the end of the month going I can't afford to invest this month
5: my big thing and I should have said that earlier definitely pay yourself first if you once you've got your budget then if you start, and that's what I'd say use January this year this month to really think about your budget for the year what is that amount that you can set out of your bank account into the, your savings pot and investing pot and then that comes out every month and you don't need to think about it so then you're not scrabbling around like you said at the end of the month thinking about where am I actually going
1: to find this investing money Beth Clay, one, we've got 30 seconds left. If you could wave a magic wand over everyone listening today to help them feel financially healthy for 2024, what would you love people to do, to not do, to try to adjust so they're feeling a lot better about their financial future in 12 months' time?
5: So I think it comes back to set your budget for the year and look at your financial goals. What is it that you want to achieve alongside those personal goals Mm -hmm. um, and then set through um, your budget, work out how much you can actually put aside for those goals. Start saving and investing this year. That's what I want you
1: all to do, please. There you mm-hmm. go. And if you need a bit of help, whether it is that free budget planner or indeed some coaching, some guidance, um, it is financeherwell.com. Thank you so much. Thank
5: you so much. Really, really
1: well explained mm-hmm. and I think hopefully building a bit of confidence rather than confusing people. Are you a bookworm? Would you love your child to be one? We're talking about fostering a love of reading today, and who better to join us on this topic? Take my questions and, of course, answer yours on 4001 than Dr Neil Hopkins, Director of Education at Fortile Education. He is responsible for strategic development of the school's academic performance, new initiatives, innovations, operations, curriculum development, alongside student and family happiness, too, and staff development as well, of course. He is a global leader in education. He's advised three successive UK government education secretaries of state and a bit of a reader by the pile of books in front of you. Dr Neil, how are you? Happy New Year.
0: And Happy New Year to you. It's great to be with you again, now, Helen. this
1: seems like a silly question. Are you, are you a lover of books?
0: Well, do you know, it's been a journey for me. And I think it's a journey for everybody. I think it's a journey for the children. There have been times in my life when I can remember as a child, you know, waiting till my parents had gone to bed and then carefully switching the light back on and reading that really great book mm-hmm. and uh, and then there are other times in, in my life most notably after I'd finished my PhD You're sick when of words. I just could not <laughs> face opening another book and, and wild horses couldn't have got me to read. It took me years to recover from that and mm-hmm. I think all of us actually have that experience of sometimes being really full on with it and thinking it's great and other times it's just not where we are.
1: Thank you for acknowledging that because I'm in a bit of a book drought right now and I don't know, let me no one four zero zero one. on 4001, if anyone else has experienced this, my concentration levels are just shot. You know, it takes... It, 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 it sometimes it takes a really amazing book to hook you back in and you get back into the momentum of reading. But I've always considered myself to be, oh, you know, a reader and I've loved books much like you since I was a child. But, I, well, I did journalism at university and much like I was being forced to read the newspapers every day, I couldn't look at a newspaper for months and months, maybe even years. And then at the minute, I'm just... There's nothing that's really grabbed me recently you see the
0: thing is helen i think that that parents across the country and across the world listening to this will resonate that will resonate with them that actually there have been times in their life when we've been put off from reading, mm-hmm. and largely it's either through work or, or, possibly through school and and university, where there have been particular uh, lists that you've had to work your way through. Yeah. And it's like working your way through this huge block of cheese, isn't it? You know, when hey, when great. you yourself are already feeling ninety-eight <laughs> percent full of cheese, you ninety-five
1: know? percent. Oh, it's ninety-five. I
0: see. <laughs> Second of, second of January, it's 98% last week. <laughs> and so the reality is that, uh, you know, just as it's really good for your health to actually moderate, so it is for reading. And we find that the, the truth is that actually when we're forced to read, actually that takes the love and the joy out of it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's true of anything, isn't it? We have to be very careful, I think, that uh, when, when we're plotting the lives of our young people ahead of us, that we don't say, let's take something that you really enjoy and actually take the joy out of it by making you do... This or that. There are there are a number of things that we can do as families that I'd like to share with your listeners that actually will stop that from happening.
1: That's the plan between now and five o'clock. If you've got any questions for Dr. Neil Hopkins, get in touch. I think it's really important to acknowledge that we all have different interests and foibles, and you know, I've I've got numerous friends who are really bright, really interesting people who don't actually enjoy reading that much as adults. So it does feel like a bit of an unrealistic expectation to think that all children should love reading. We kind of romanticise this idea of our, you know, like talking there about you know reading under the covers. And but equ- you know, I've got friends who are worried about how much their children are reading. You know, on the other end of the scale, because it's stopping them from being in the world. So it, it is. It's a, it's complicated. It's everything
0: in moderation. It isn't is. It, you it know, is. We we believe that there's a there's a lot to be gained from books, and there's a lot to be gained from the different ways that we handle them. I I brought in four books today let's, to share with. Let's
1: you. talk. You actually brought in five because you brought me a present. I
0: did, I did. I was just being modest about that.
1: Tell me about the book you brought me, first of all. Uh,
0: So the book I've given you is Everything You Need You Have. And it's an amazing book because it's really actually trying to address the paranoia that we all feel and the anxiety (laughs) Ah, that we all feel, especially when we're in the new year and we have these grand plans, those of us that are foolish enough to make them, Mm -hmm. of uh, what we're going to achieve in the coming year. And, uh, and very soon we find that actually perhaps we fall away, we don't manage to adhere to those things, and then suddenly we blow the whole thing out. You know, for the, for the fourth successive year, I've dedicated myself to weight loss again in January. <laughs> And I weighed myself this morning. I'm exactly the same weight I've been over the last four years.
1: Well, that's good. You're well, stable. It, it's good, but it's
0: 20 kilos more than I Stop should it. be. You see, Helen. Stop so, it. So that's the problem. And so, of course, you know, I'm really good until about March and then I kind of lose my way. And I think it's, this is very true. This book is attend, attempting to address that and say, look, everything that you think you should be reaching out for and aspiring to get, it's already inside you. I
1: love this. It says, um, oh, it shows us how to look at things from a different perspective to uncover uncover the truth and that everything we need to be happy and well, we already have inside. And that is cheese. Um, we're going to be talking <laughs> about the other books that Neil Hopkins has brought in this afternoon. And we're going to be talking about the science of how to read, the role of school, but also of us as parents. Joining us from Fortis Education is Director of Education, Dr Neil Hopkin. He's got a pile of books in front of him. Do you want to give us a quick rundown of what you brought today?
0: In, uh this fabulous book called "The Last Lecture" by uh, the late Randy Pausch—really, really, really moving book. If you if you want to see a, a three-minute version, you can see that on YouTube with um, with Oprah Winfrey. Really great. Um, Some Mark School, uh, one of our schools, uh, won uh, the most innovative school in the UAE this year. And wow. so uh, I've got a book here on innovating with impact, and so I'm making sure that we're keeping moving forward. That's good. Uh, and then looking globally at what's going on, here's a fantastic book, a real major breakthrough, really called "Cleverlands," and so. It's It's a study of the kinds of things that are being done in schools all around the world to see whether there's something we can learn. And then, of course, my fourth book, because I brought four books in, and I'll tell you why shortly. Uh, Helen, is uh, Star Wars Origami, a big, thick book. And uh, you know, I, I, spent, I spent most of, of Christmas working on, on how to make a millennium falcon out of one piece of paper. And I can tell you it's not easy. Tell
1: me about four being the magic number.
0: Four is all about, it's all about being a male reader, particularly. So oh. we, we tend to find that boys, of course, it applies to everybody, but we find it uh, particularly with boys. Is that actually their patience, their their tolerance, uh, really is is quite small in terms of reading, and so if you, what we tend to do as parents is we say, look, here's your book, here's here's the book that school's given you to read, mm-hmm. make sure you read that book, and and within cover to two cover, th- cover to cover, absolutely, and within two or three pages, actually the child is switched off really, and they're not really very engaged. And as parents, we have a choice to make. And all of us have faced this when we say, am I going to double down and dig in and make sure that my child finishes this chapter? Mm-hmm. Or am I going to let them be a lightweight and pivot away from that and pick up another book? And uh, we don't want to actually force that particular dilemma of saying, no, you must stick at this. And so we've instantly crossed that boundary from reading for pleasure, for actually this becoming a task that must be done. Mm -hmm. And we don't want that to be happening for our children at any point in their reading experience, or the parents themselves. We want to read for pleasure. So actually, better to keep your child in the reading zone and say, oh, well, if you've lost a bit of focus on this book, let's see if we can find another book that's really interesting.
1: Um, Dr. Neil, can you talk to us about I guess, understanding the science of how to read. I mean, academically, physiologically, what's happening?
0: It's, it's a complex process. And really, it's a continuum that goes all the way from speech and a child um, hearing speech in the womb, hearing some sounds, starting to make sense as, as they're born and, and start to differentiate, all the way through to writing and actually being able to produce their own words that m- they might write into their own book. It's this long continuum that goes all the way through that that process. And, of course, reading sits right in the middle of that. And all schools across the world have become much more focused on reading in, in the last 30 or 40 years And we've learnt a lot more about how reading happens. And so we're able to start to understand how a child recognises collections of shapes, which we would call letters. Uh, that are on a page, and and, uh, technically they're called uh, graphemes. And the sound that 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 shape makes, uh, which we will call a phoneme, and the the children start to be able to see how they correspond and see how different shapes, when they combine together, produce different sounds. Now, of course, the English language is a great example of why it's very difficult for a child (laughs) to learn to read. Because if you just take the letters Mm O-U-G-H, then if they're in the word cough, they make the sound off. Um, if they're in the word through, they make the the same letters make the sound oo. If um, if it's something that's going on in your head, it's a thought, and so it makes the sound or oh, And so on. And there's seven or eight different versions of sound that that collection of letters makes, and that makes it very difficult to learn a particular language, and those people that are learning uh, English perhaps as a second language have encountered that. But of course it's true of any language Mm -hmm. that um, it's very difficult to decide and decipher actually what do these letters mean and that's why children find it arduous. So what we end up with are two different approaches. There's one approach that says let's have a scheme of books that schools put in place and so the vocabulary is very carefully chosen and many parents listening to this will have gone through some of those schemes of, of books and they'll uh, be like which like which one? Like Biff, Biff Chippin Chippin. <laughs> and uh, and they'll have Biff they'll Chippin. have gone through that. And yes, you're sick to death, you know. These people, you, think, you know. If only Biff would get lost or something. <laughs> and um, stupid dad. Exactly, and and so it's a problem because the story isn't very engaging. They've tried their best, of course, but actually it's uh, it's a, a synthetic scheme that is created in order to take children through vocabulary. Now, some people are great advocates of that. There's an alternative that, that says, let's go for a real book. And so you can have a whole real book uh, schools. And I, I've led both types of school. Where actually you won't have any uh, reading schemes within the school. What you'll have is a whole collection of of real books that are graded for difficulty. Mm -hmm. But of course, the vocabulary that's used in those doesn't always conform with the progression of development of of, uh, the ease of learning a particular language. And so that can become difficult for children. Of course, the argument against that is it's okay to let children encounter words they don't understand. Mm -hmm. You can support them and you can open their eyes to the beauty of, of expanded vocabulary.
1: When we look at those really little e's, and I feel like it's such a magic moment. And I remember with mine, you know, them pointing out. I remember them pointing out, looking at a, a sign for noon on Shakeside Road and then going, ah, oh, noon. And I'm yes. going, oh, gosh, it suddenly clicks. And I think when I've spoken to teachers who, who look at that kind of FS2 year one I mean, it is just absolute—it's it's magic. magical.
0: It's magical, and and you—I was uh, I was in the cinema with uh, with my daughter, my five-year-old daughter, uh, uh, over over the weekend, and um, uh, there was a part in this particular film when uh, a, a, a label is revealed, and it holds the secret that everything's about uh, in the story, and it was written, of course, and so she at me and said, "What does it say?" And so you're right at that moment when she can actually start to put some letters together. She can see something, but she can't quite extract the meaning. And so what that's brilliant is, is to demonstrate, is that actually there's a, a motivation to read. There's that yearning to be able to read. You can you can start to make sense of noon on the Shakeside Road. You can start to make sense of, of the label in, in, in Wonka's chocolate bar, you know, ah, that kind of stuff. Well, okay. it, it all makes sense mm-hmm. um, once you can read. And so that's very motivating and empowering. However, there comes a point at which all of that stress of having to do something, having to have your music lesson, having to go to the gym, having to drink a lot more water. You
1: must meditate every morning.
0: Having to (laughs) meditate, all those things. Actually, the joy starts to sap out of them. Mm -hmm. And so the secret to reading and to encouraging children reading is to make sure that you keep joy within that and there are lots of ways of doing that.
1: We're going to be exploring that Got any questions or you want to share your tips? By all means get in touch and I'm sure we're going to be touching on this knitting. saying I just want to share the success we had with our 14-year-old reading at the same time. Most evenings around 8.30, I give him a shout, we sit side by side and reading companionable silence for 20 minutes. It works. Youngest daughter often joins us. He often ends up reading for much longer as he gets into the book. No expectation if he's not feeling it. I've kept the whole thing low pressure. It's supposed to be a positive experience. And if he isn't in the right headspace, that's okay. I reckon we manage four or five nights a week. He's now on a second book. I love the chats afterwards about what we've both been reading. Knitting. I'm sure we're going to be touching on this as a technique as well we've also had questions coming in asking about um, momentum fiction versus non-fiction when it comes to kids Um, and a really interesting point here from g saying our son is year four uh, eight and a half years old we've got out of the habit of reading pages with him um, and he reads on his own but i'm not sure what happens if he doesn't understand a word interesting we're going to be talking about that too (laughs) Speaking now to a global leader in education, he has worked internationally now here in the UAE as a director of education at Fortes Education. It is Dr Neil Hopkin. He has advised three successive UK government education secretaries of state and we've stolen him away to talk about reading. Um, <laughs> I love, you've sent me a few notes and one says taken under the radar approach that sounds sneaky Dr Neil what's this all about when well, we're fostering love of reading in our kids?
0: I think sneaky is the best tactic when it comes <laughs> to parenting generally Ellen. I mean the idea is that we don't get in our children's face all the time and saying have you read, have you read, how was that book, how did it go for you? Uh, that's not a great approach, it's much better to actually be a little bit more under the radar and so we can relax, this can happen from a very early age with children, just having books around the house, I think the way you you set your house out is quite important if you want your child to be a reader. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you've got lots of books that are within arm's reach, that they'll stumble across when they feel motivated to just for that little bit of time. So that's really important. But also just not saying, look, we're going to sit down and read. Just play like you would with anything. You can play with a book. You can play with the pictures in the book. You can imagine what's happening. You can just look at the cover of the book and say, why did they design the cover of the book like this? Why has this got a rocket on it? I wonder where that rocket is might be going. There are lots of wonderful things that you can do to play around with that. And also, as you were saying, uh, with your family, driving along the Shakespeare Road and then seeing the, the road signs and starting to read that, helping your young child understand um, what the point of text is and, and what you're doing with an adult uh, around that and how, uh, if, if you're a bit uh, cloth-minded like I am sometimes and you're pushing against the door that says pull, uh, <laughs> then actually, so actually, look, there's a hint here that this is uh, enabling me to, to tell that. I think the main thing is it doesn't matter where you are it doesn't matter if you're on the beach it doesn't matter if you're in a supermarket it doesn't matter if you've got just a tiny little bit of text around you do what you can with what there is around there so that you can say that look we're reading this mm-hmm. is what we're doing but it's it's not actually a big occasion it's not something that the child needs to put an hour aside for to do I think just to come back to the the, the comment that Nitin made uh, just before the uh, the break um, that's a really fantastic example of brilliant parenting and how to work with a teenager. I did that with my eldest son who's now 16 and he's he's an avid reader. He was somebody who was really passionate about reading. And so I from a very early age I because I'm also passionate about reading would be reading with him. Mm-hmm. And then eventually we reached the point of course when he got true independence and so uh, he wanted to read on his own and there's there's a possibility of that being a, a sad moment.
1: Yeah, of, of you know being behind closed doors but what Nisham was saying is you know You know, come sit next to me on the sofa, or, you know, whatever that might be. And we're just going to be companionably reading together. Exactly, because
0: your child is is like your mini book club and you're like the mini book club to your child. And Mm so you can then have those fantastic conversations that that might be about the book, but actually might pivot into other things that the book has raised Mm -hmm. that takes you somewhere else on the journey. It's a wonderful opportunity as your child is maturing to still keep that experience going where you just have reading time. But that's another important point. You have to read yourself.
1: Well, isn't it funny? Because we have these high expectations of our children to be passionate. Readers, but but I'm just going to be scrolling on my phone. Thanks very much. Exactly. It's it's not it's not very fair. Now I wanted to, I wanted to explore this properly in a second, but I wanted to ask you. I read a lot on my Kindle because my eyes are getting older. Yeah. Um, is that? perhaps not as useful um, in terms of perception as, as holding a book that's got a cover or my kids see me reading different things?
0: Well, Helen, I think we could all say that to ourselves. And we, we, we're in so many ways in life, we're criticised, aren't we? Every way we turn, we, we get criticised. I think the point it, about reading under the radar is to say, look, if you're reading, that's great. Mm. What, what I'm not a fan of is is reading on your device, yeah. because uh, by device, I mean your phone or an iPad, because it's very easy for mum or dad actually be doing work rather than reading and so the child isn't seeing that you're reading um, uh, some sort of novel or or, um, information text or something, what they're seeing is that you're just working. And so you might be in that space, but you're not really alongside them in that way. They are alone again. And what we want to do is to foster an environment for children to see that you value it. You know, there's amazing research that sees as a direct correlation between the number of books you have in the house and the classification of degree that your child gets. Now, here's the amazing thing. So if if there are 50 books in the house you're going to get a third class degree your child is going to get a third class degree Two hundred and fifty, they're going to get a two two. You know, five hundred, they're going to get a two one. You know, a thousand, they're going to get a first class Does it, does it matter if they've read the books? They don't have to read the books. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? Just go out and buy a load of books, and your child will get a fantastic. You know, you heard it here first.
1: Oh gosh, but I'm this- not thinking about my childhood home, but I don't think I don't think there's any amount of books my parents could have bought to offset the amount of partying I did at university, So <laughs> she said with her two two.
0: <laughs> so you know, but the thing is, what what it sets up is is an atmosphere where if a if a house is is full of books. Then the parents are valuing reading, mm-hmm. uh, and the child uh, it sort of imbibes that sort of um, sense of yes, reading is important. It's a way to uh, spark your imagination. It's a way to try and uh, resolve some conundrums and get some answers to things. And so that that enters their DNA, and they take that through into their university life.
1: It does start at such an early age, as you're saying. You know, even you know our children's vocabulary developing in in the womb, and I feel like. That bonding time has always been so precious when you're sitting with your child and they're in the nook, you know, they're tucked under your arm and you're reading a book together. Where do you stand on Silly Voices?
0: Silly voices are the only uh, contribution that fathers make to family life, really, <laughs> apart from taking true. the bin out. Uh, and so, silly, vo- I'm very defensive about the the domain of silly voices because it, you know, it's, it's the one contribution I make to family life. Uh, it's really important for you to liberate that inner performer that's, that's inside you. It's the there's only you and your child, and you can play. You can be as silly as you like. You can you can make great shapes. You can put on funny voices. Uh, That's really important. But if you're not a performer like that, then that's also okay. Because do you know what your child wants? They just want to be with you. Absolutely. And they want to share in that story. The stories are so beautiful nowadays that actually they take children on a journey anyway. Mm -hmm. And so it can do all the hard work for you. You don't have to be some marvellous thespian that can bring something to it. But if you are, then it's just fun for the children. Uh,
1: You touched on that earlier, which was about books being... A jumping-off point, a pivot for actually having what can be quite challenging conversations, or tackling a topic that you might feel uncomfortable about addressing as a parent. What can you expand on that a little bit for us, Neil?
0: Well, I think this is important, especially in the teenage years, that we find that uh, with teenagers with a prescribed reading list, and very often the books that are in those lists aren't really playing to the child's interests. Mm we can find very quickly that actually they get turned off by the whole reading experience. And if within your family there are other topics you'd like to talk about, then uh, that also can be a, a point of friction. So you've then got two two parts that are going on that actually won't work for you. Whereas if what you actually do is to um, ensure that your child has a range of books that they are interested in and uh, that do play to, to things that they want to look at or, or talk about or think about, it might be fashion. It might be music. It might be K-pop. Uh, it, it might be, you know, a brilliant Manchester-based uh, <laughs> band, you know, back from the day of Manchester. Um, all of those things are, are possible. Uh, but actually, if you can find the books that they're interested in, that opens up their willingness uh, to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they're sharing something that is their language. And kids love that. They do. And then, then as soon as you talk, it's like in, in interrogation methods that, that police have. If, if somebody has decided that they don't want to give away the fact they've committed this terrible crime, then what they do is they just stay silent. And so police are trained now just to do anything to provoke them to say one word. Why? Because as soon as you say one word, the rest of the words mm-hmm. will follow. Well, teenagers are a bit like that. I'm not saying in any sense that teenagers are like criminals, <laughs> but, uh, but that teenagers actually... If you can get them talking, you build a momentum and actually that momentum builds into a conversation and that conversation can go wherever mm. you and your child want to take it.
1: And in the younger years where, you know, you're, you've got 445 year olds I've got um, six and eight, you know, talking about, well, separation anxiety and really little ones, you know, bullying, inclusion, you know, big topics where you don't necessarily want to go, today we're going to talk about bullying, yes. but there might be a book... Um, Just trying to think what we've had recently. The Invisible Boy, which is a really sweet one about a little boy who feels invisible because his classmates all ignore him, and he goes from this black and white pencil sketch at the beginning to being full colour at the end as, as as he's seen more by his classmates. You know, to help children. Empathize. What do you think he's feeling, or why do you think those children said, say that? It's it's, it's, it's really a wonder, helpful.
0: It's a wonderful device, isn't it? And and it's really about shared experience, and that's mm-hmm. what the child wants. That's what you're offering with reading a shared experience. It's very important that when you're reading your own books, you share some of that with your children. Otherwise, it's very it's a power dynamic. Mm-hmm. You're always asking the child to share what they like about their book, but you've never shared what you like about your Ooh, book. Oh, you
1: made me think uh, there.
0: So having that shared experience where they see your laughter is critically important.
1: Dr Neil Hopkin with us today. A message here from Julie saying, our, our children cannot be if they cannot see. We need to model the act of sitting and reading a book if we want our children to be readers. Absolutely. A message from Ben saying, We're really struggling to get momentum with our son's reading. Most successful series have been Famous Five and Dogman. He enjoys non-fiction more than fiction. Um, is there a way to get him to enjoy reading stories for pleasure or does it not really matter?
0: Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, that's the thing to reassure yourself about. But if if it's something that you do worry about, and and of course, if a child isn't reading uh, fiction, if they're spending a lot of their time in non-fiction, this is very stereotypical of, of boys, um, then there are things you can do. I worked in one school once where uh, we found we had that problem in, in a massive way within the, the, uh, the boys within the school. And so we built new gym equipment in the hall and uh, behind the gym equipment, we, we put bookshelves. And right at the very top, we put all of the fiction. And, and down at the bottom, we put the non-fiction. And then the children during their break times were allowed to climb this, this equipment. Of course, what did the boys do? They all wanted to climb to the top. So they climbed to the top. And the only thing they could do when they were there is read fiction. <laughs>
1: Uh, I want to see a picture of
0: this. it Sounds amazing. Absolutely brilliant, and, and it worked. And suddenly, they 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 sort of got the hook. Uh, equally, you can just have uh, an adventurous sense of holiday. Sometimes with groups of children, we've had let's have some let's take some brilliant uh, photographs of you doing wild and wacky things as you're reading a book. And so they're hanging upside down from the playground or off some rock, etc. Extreme et reading. Extreme reading. And so make it something where the only choice they have is fiction, but really they're distracted by the joy of the naughty. Mm of the picture that they're producing, the funniness for for their classmates back home when they share it.
1: We've got a message here from G saying, our son is eight and a half, year four. We've got out of the habit of reading a few pages each evening, and now he looks at or reads book, books in bed. The trouble is, how do I know he's reading them properly? What if there's a word he doesn't understand, or he's not reading his head with his, with the right expression? I'm not sure he's on a book band at school anymore; they just choose a book and read it themselves. Any help or advice appreciated.
0: Well, I think what we're talking about, Helen, here is really that that notion of sharing, creating that that shared space, uh, and making sure that actually, if if what he's doing is is reading to himself, then he's reading for pleasure that's wonderful celebrate that don't don't end up uh, there's, there's a sort of a dichotomy isn't there when you've got young children you're paranoid you're paranoid that they're not reading properly and then when you've got older children you're despairing you're despairing that they won't read at all Um, And really, we want to try and relax about that. Let him read for himself. Sometimes read with him and share that and and know that the school is teaching the mechanics of the reading. Mm -hmm. What you're doing is getting into pleasurable moments, sharing that with your child. Sometimes you'll be reading out loud. Sometimes you'll say, you know, I'm really tired. I'm just going to close my eyes. Could you read to me, please?
1: Oh, I love that. We do one page each sometimes. Silly voice is optional. Well, you know, silly voices <laughs> always sexual. add something.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, Doctor Neil, thank you so much for coming in and talking on this. We've had some lovely messages, some great questions, and I think I hope that we've inspired some people to cozy up with a book tonight, whether it's alone or with little ones. So thank you. You're Any recommended well, reading on the topic of reading?
0: Recommended reading on the topic of reading. Um, you know, I wouldn't read anything technical. I would. All I would say is get a picture book. And get a book that's simple and get a book that's complicated and get one that's exciting. Just have four books on the go.
1: Love it. Four books on the go. Four is the magic number. Dr. Neil Hopkins speaking to us from Fortez Education.